Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Killar jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson Hello. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. It's great to be back on the show. There's no no tension between us this time, at least not yet. Oh, I've actually I've learned from the the response from the last episode. The problem is not you, Elon. It's me. Oh. I am. I I think my takeaway is that I am not competitive enough. <laughs> I don't think you have a problem, and I don't think I have a problem. I didn't even think it was that big of an issue but apparently yeah it took a hold I, of the hearts of the people <laughs> we, we had a lot of team elon in the responses and uh i i think yeah the bottom line was just that like i thought that the this league that we're in together wasn't a big enough deal and like shouldn't have been a big enough deal for you to withhold information and uh it turns out most people agree that it 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 should be chance for uh gramps Okay, I, I, I'm good to move on if you are from this, like, to me, non-issue. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, yeah, because we got a big show today, okay? So I joined uh, Ben for Short Shifts on Thursday. Hopefully people enjoyed that episode. If you didn't listen to it, you can pause this pod, go listen to that one, then come back to this one, or I don't know, do whatever order you want. But I think we had a good time. And I basically had the opportunity to drop all of my takes on the players that were on my mind. So I figured I'm just going to wipe the slate clean. And now for today's episode, I've got the stats from just Friday and Saturday. And then obviously we'll get the Sunday games as we're recording. We're recording the Sunday night. I'm just going to look at the top performers from the last couple of days. Then we'll, of course, look at some players on those people's teams. I think we're going to have ourselves a really nice time just getting right up to date with everything going on in fantasy hockey. Uh, before we get to all of that, of course, very proudly presented by the site that always keeps you up to date on everything going on in fantasy hockey and that's dauberhockey.com the articles every day just mwah, chef's kiss frozen tools i love it so so much i don't know what i would do without it please never go away uh, so yeah that's dauberhockey.com check it out uh, but with that brian let's just dive right into it with the player who had the most points oh by the way i'm going by cupful points uh just to have something to measure again so that's the scoring system for our keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league brian what's the website again for that league that we run it's kkupfl.com right so much good stuff there there's like fancy tools you can also go and look at tier one like see what's happening in the top tier of the cupful see what ads and drops are being made after like a monday morning go look if your league's a little slower uh on the draw go see what other the best fancy managers in the world are doing and see if you want to emulate any of those moves yeah, or if you want to do something really smart, go look at all the players that I've dropped because that's going to guarantee you a ton of points for case in point, uh, Ryan Pulak. 
I, I dropped him right before his four assist game. So that's a little tip for you there. Go watch Elon's drops and you're going to do really well in fantasy. <laughs> but okay, Brian, uh, the player with the most a couple points over Friday and Saturday is in New Jersey, the best team in the league. These guys can't be stopped. And of course, they're led by Jack Hughes. What a weekend. He had a goal versus Buffalo on Friday, then a hat trick versus Washington on Saturday. That brings Hughes to 25 points in 22 games. He's basically pacing the same as last season's 94 point pace, but so many more shots. He's been averaging 4.2 shots per game instead of 3.4. So almost a shot more per game. And to me, that's a sign that he could be even better, right? Like I think that if anything, what we're seeing now in the past like couple of weeks is, is really the real Jack Hughes. Like, I don't I was so high into him like going into the season and then I feel like he almost was like disappointing me a little bit even though he's doing really well so I'm curious to know if you concur or what you think about Jack Hughes at this point like do you think that he's basically just the Jack Hughes from last season do you think he's better he's gonna break 100 like maybe to put in in some more context Ben and I on Thursday talked about Jason Robertson and how amazing he's been and we talked about how maybe he's joined that tier in fantasy drafts for next year like with the Pasternak, Ranson and Kucherovs, Kaprizovs I'm curious to know how far off is Jack Hughes from that group He's not far off from that group at all, Ilana. Don't sell yourself short on how you felt about Jack Hughes earlier. You said you like had this disappointing feeling early in the season, and a lot of us did. He had just three points in his first six games, and this was after you know we were drafting with a ton of projections that were expecting Jack Hughes to have a huge breakout season to be worth a first or second round pick, but technically he doesn't slate in there in all formats because of his short or shorter track record. So some people jumped to get him where they thought he would end up. Some people didn't want to reach and thus left, lost out on him. And early on, there was a bit of a, a bit of disgruntled management out there for anybody who did go for Jack Hughes because that's slow start. But since then, Jack Hughes has 10 goals and 12 assists for 22 points in 16 games, even more amazing or not even more amazing, but to go with all that amazingness, 64 shots on goal in that time. So yeah, four shots a game. Uh, Hughes has only gone pointless three times in his last 16 games and the other 13, he's had so many multi-point outings. This is the stuff of a first or second round fantasy draft pick. I have to imagine everyone is convinced now, including me, I'm looking at his numbers. I'm not seeing any reason to disbelieve in Jack Hughes. He's got better shot rates this season, which is good because he actually is spending less time on the ice. I think the Devils are sharing more of the uh, line wealth, especially amongst those top two lines now that Nico Hishir is healthy and doing his own thing over there. But uh, to offset the less time for Hughes's line at five on five, that top power play is getting a little more, uh, a little greater share of the ice time than they did last year. So we'll see if that continues. I expect it will. That unit has had so much success. So everything looks really good for Jack Hughes. He is in that Pasternak, you know, Alex Barkov group that sort of goes towards the end of the first round. I wouldn't say Jack Hughes is, has quite the same upside yet as someone like Miko Rantanen or Nikita Kucherov or Kirill Kaprizov, some of these other names he mentioned, because I feel like they all have potential to blow far past 100 points. Hughes, I just, I want him to get there. I want him to get 100 points. I think he could blow past it. I just don't know he's there quite yet, and I'll take the greater upside of that other group. But yeah, he slots in really nicely with, like I said, the Pasternak and Barkov type that go towards, you know, somewhere around picks 12 to 15-ish, maybe even 10. 
Yeah, though Pasternak, maybe he's uh, making his own case to go higher than that as well. But yeah, I mean, it's a fun group, obviously, so it's hard to really compare these people. I guess you're right. With Hughes, the one thing holding him back is that now the Devils also have Nico Heischer on a separate line that's also so amazing, so they don't need to like roll him out as often as, say, like Colorado needs to roll out Rance. And wait till we get to our Colorado talk and you hear what their second line is right now. This is the, the defending Stanley Cup champ has, has like no depth, at least in terms of star power. It's very interesting right now with a couple injuries. Anyways, of course, with Hughes rolling, uh, you're going to want to look at who his line mates are and currently they have been dawson mercer and eric halla so mercer is the most exciting one because he's also been on the top power play uh mercer is up to five points in his last four games after he had two assists on saturday like i said on the top power play I feel like if this deployment holds, and it, it might not, right? Mercer has spent time on the third line. He has spent time not on the top power play. But I feel like as long as Mercer is L1, PP1, like you definitely want to get him, right? I don't know, Brian, how close we are to pause the pod, but he's on a hot streak. He's in a great spot. Uh, you know, we were talking before about Thomas Tatar and how well he was doing on his line with Heeshear, not on the top power play. So I think like Mercer becomes a lot more interesting than a Tatar type, right? Yeah, like a lot more interesting. I'm not sure. Elon, I think maybe on par. Like Dawson Mercer has come in the past and Dawson Mercer has also gone. Uh, He's just come off also a nine game stretch where he had just six shots total. But now that Dawson Mercer has four shots in each of his last two games, yeah, there's reason to wonder, hey, is there something more that he can do that we're going to see, especially with this top power play deployment? By the way, those eight shots over Mercer's last two games, that's nearly 20% of his full season shot total in just two games, like 10% or yeah, right around there of the season. And uh, if you're looking to see, well, is Dawson Mercer going to hold on the top power play? He took uh, he took the spot of Nathan Bastion. So it feels like there's a pretty decent chance Dawson Mercer can hold on to this top power play deployment. That would be great if he could. And I think he needs it to be relevant. Uh, and even then, like, I don't know, Mercer's been the kind of guy who looks like a must-have for two or three games at a time and then slowly peters out in a way that at least this is my experience with him. Like, he peters out in a way that makes him hard to drop. So you hold on thinking there might be more to come, but ultimately you're unrewarded and you could probably have done better if you cut ties sooner. But listen, top power play changes that a bit and the sudden shots on goal. And he's playing with Jack Hughes, which he has done before and it hasn't always been a slam dunk. But I think maybe a good comp for Mercer right now could be like an Alex Killorn type, except I think Mercer is more naturally talented so he's got that working in his favor as well so i don't know if it's a pause the pod moment but it definitely is at least a pause the pod to add mercer to your watch list moment yeah, well, he plays Monday, right? So if you have a lot of moves, uh, then you might as well get him for Monday and you could always reassess after that. Yeah, and he's only 21 years old. So like, it's fun when you say like your experiences with him so far. These are very limited experiences. Obviously, we'll learn a lot more about him as we get more games under our belt for more data. And then yeah, for your deeper leagues, uh, Eric Haula, not nothing. Assists in each of his last two games. So yeah, also worth looking at in deeper leagues. Just get one of those players with exposure to Jack Hughes. Okay, next up in the list of, again, this is, I'm not going to do this every time, okay? The cupful scoring leaders over Friday and Saturday of those two games. Remember, Friday, like every team played. And then a lot of these teams also played on Saturday. So next up, we're going to go to Jordan Cairo on St. Louis. He had a goal and an assist on Friday versus Tampa Bay. And then two goals in the 5-4 win over Florida on Saturday. He had 12 shots over those two games. So shooting up a storm, getting 
multi-point games. Kyrie was now up to 13 points in his last eight games after a very slow start to the year. Kyrie only had three points in nine games. You could have gotten him so cheap. You dummies. How could you not have? Trust me, I'm with you. I didn't trade for him either. I wish I did. Uh, he's playing with Bucinevich and Rob Thomas at even strength and on the power play. It's kind of like, I don't even want to say top power play. They basically have two even power plays. Uh, but yeah, like Kyrie was point per game last season. And like Hughes, he's also shooting a ton more this year than he did last year. Kyrie's up to 3.5 shots per game versus 2.5 shots per game last year. So, Brian, do you think Jordan Kyrie is going to beat last season's totals, which were very impressive? They were point per game. Do you think he could do even better than that now that he's shooting more? It's it's a it's an amazing conversation to be having about Jordan Kyrie. The script has been flipped so hard. Like you said, Elon, I think he's at three points in nine games. I'll go even further. He had a stretch to start the season before he got hot eight games ago. Jordan Kyrie had just five points over 13 games. But yeah, now, like you said, 13 points in eight games for Kyrie looks really good. He's on one of two, like, evenly deployed power play unit so i'm you know that puts some kind of ceiling on just how much kairu can accomplish the same way we talk about like the situation in ottawa although maybe that's not the best example because they're struggling over there too now but you know if your power play unit is out there only half the time then there's only so much you can accomplish you know you're not looking at 25 power play points as a likely outcome of that so keep that in mind when you're trying to think of what kairu can do the, the rest of the season um but his whole line, like, even with this tear, they're still shooting just 8% on ice at 5-on-5, five five, which, which shows you just how unlucky they were for the first long stretch of the year. And that's why I'm looking at Kairou now being up to a 70-point pace and thinking, yeah, there is still room to grow here. Uh, Kairou also, I should mention, had 19 power play points last season, even though he saw, on average, 40% share of his team's power play time. But, of course, it wasn't so cut and dry with the way lines were deployed and where he was at various points in the season. Like, I still think there may be problems in St. Louis that could keep Kairou from being a point-per-game player. But at the moment, at least there are uh, goals being scored, to put it so simply. They have one piece figured out. It seems like the Blues have not put it all together. Uh, but now that the goals are coming, I am optimistic that Kairou can be at least a 70-point player. And yeah, I think he could go as high as point per game. Yeah, I mean, he was last year, and we'll see now if they can get a bit luckier and maybe be a little bit better. Yeah, obviously, I could have also brought up like Bucinevich or Rob Thomas here. Like, I guess the answer for Kyrie probably also fits for them. There are two injuries to watch, though, in St. Louis. The Blues finished that last game versus Florida without Braden Shen and without Robert Thomas. Uh, so Shen missed the entire third. Thomas like didn't play only the last five minutes. I don't think we've seen an update yet. So we're going to have to watch the lines on Monday. But, you know, keep an eye out. Like, if Thomas is out, obviously, that makes a big impact because he He's the guy playing with Kyrie and Buchnevich. I don't know if Ryan O'Reilly moves up there or someone else. Uh, you know, even with Braden Shen out, you know, that's an opportunity for like a Josh Levo or a Noel Achari to get a decent spot. So depending how deep your league is, like obviously I'm going to be watching gamedaylines.com very closely to see what's going on in St. Louis, uh, both for the news and then for the updated line combos. I think you mean gamedaytweets.com. Game day tweets. What did I say? GameDayLines.com. I wish I could get that website, but uh, that wasn't available. If you own GameDayLines.com, hit me up. But yeah, for all of us, we're going to go to Game Day Tweets, which I think is a pretty good domain, all things considered. I'm happy with it. If anyone wants to buy it for me, too bad. I'm not selling it. I like it. But okay, uh, next up, okay, Jason Robertson comes third. We already covered him Thursday. I don't know, Brian, do you have, a, do you have anything to add to like how, like Ben and I just drooled over him and said he's like amazing and yeah, he belongs in that group with that those top guys. Since we had that conversation, another two goals and two assists in two games. So, you know, no biggie for him at this point. No surprise. Jason Robertson's unbelievable. 
He's awesome. He's amazing. He's crushing it. I we had someone on our patrons only Discord group asking if they should like you know maybe the Robertson line is overperforming a bit. Should they trade him for Kirill Kaprizov? And I was like, I I don't think so. And like I I couldn't believe I was saying that. Or actually I could believe it because I've been hyping Robertson for a while. Like I've been in his corner for sure. But even still thinking that Robertson has entered that territory and I I think he has and that that's where we're at. And again maybe it's sort of like a a Hughes Kucherov situation where maybe Kaprizov's ceiling is even higher but Robertson with all those goals, uh how can you look away into shot rates on the power play? are insane. Like, I've never seen, like, in all the times I'm looking, like, this guy, if he was on the ice, if Robertson was on the ice for 60 minutes of power play time, he would attempt 50 shots. That's almost one shot attempt a minute, which is wild. Like, usually, like, a high, a prolific power play producer will attempt, like, 23 shots per 60 minutes. So this is twice what what that person, what that general top end power play shooter does. So um, yeah, just another, another slice of just how great Jason Robertson has been this season. I have nothing to say. I'm just joining the drool party. Yeah. I mean, I guess the other guy we can talk about on Dallas, that's a little more interesting than just talking about Jason Robertson. Because like, yeah, I think I can say like Joe Pavelski is doing well, like Ropa Hintz is doing well. Like, you know, it, it, these aren't big surprises considering they're all playing with Jason Robertson. Not to take away, obviously, from Pavelski and, and Hintz. Hintz actually pointless in his last two games, but definitely I'm not worried about that. Uh, but I guess like Jamie Benn is someone we can talk about who's like on this list. Where do I have him here? Number 26 on this list of like top couple point getters over Friday and Saturday because Jamie Benn just keeps on going. And I feel like brian we brought him up a couple weeks ago when he was on that hot streak and correct me if i'm wrong i think you were like enjoy it while it lasts but like it's probably not going to continue forever and like uh, it made sense i mean considering what we've seen from ben over these last few seasons but yeah he has two uh multi-point games in this past week uh he was pointless versus colorado finally on saturday but before that like if you look at his game log it's like all multi-point games <laughs> over these past couple of weeks this guy's insane he has 21 points in his last 13 he's up to 24 points in 22 games on the season above Above a point per game, he's not like on that top line, but of course he is on that top power play with Hintz, Pavelski, and the great Jason Robertson and Haskinen, uh, and he's really taking advantage. He already has 11 power play points, like a quarter of the way into the season. Uh, so yeah, he had 11 power play points like all of last season, just to put that into context. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, last week I trotted out the notion of Jamie Ben being this power play specialist that he's evolved into, barely playing at five on five, getting out on the top power play and crushing it. And that's born out still. Like you said, I shouldn't, you, uh, my, my call was don't expect it to last, but I said the power play points could still keep coming even with those power play points, you might not expect a whole lot more than 50 points from Jamie Benn if that's the only way he's producing, which at five on five, he spent significant time in the last game with uh, Ty DeLandrea and Wyatt Johnston. So I guess that's like line three in Dallas. Gurianov took his spot on the second line, which, you know, may also not be a permanent thing, but just speaks to how where Jamie Benn is going to score is on the power play. He has four points in his last three games. Two of those four points have come on the power play, which means I'm surprised about the other two even strength points that he's picked up in three games, but not about the power play piece. In a league that rewards, that has a power play points category, then I think Jamie Benn like it could be worth it for that alone, depending on how deep it is. So yeah, just uh, I, I, I don't want to 
think the take was he's going to cool off and disappear and be irrelevant. I think Jamie Benn, because of this power play role he's got that he's doing so well in, could hold relevance um, for people who really value those power play contributions. Yeah. And also, like, it's pretty funny because he's getting so buried in the conversation. But Tyler Sagan, like, not on the top power play, still has 18 points in 22 games. Like, he's quietly having a great season himself. And uh, that's only with three power play points. If he's doing it all even... Imagine if Sagan got a shot on that top power play. Like, if Ben gets injured and Sagan gets up there, I mean, you probably won't be able to add him because he's probably taking all leagues. But it's nice to see this bounce back, right? We saw Jonathan Taves have somewhat of a bounce back this season. But, yeah, to, like, Tyler Sagan, like, at a much higher extent, considering, like, at some point, Tyler Sagan was getting dropped in some of my leagues last year. Uh, So, yeah, Dallas... uh, Looking pretty good. I think Dallas is going to be a tough team to beat with all this firepower. Yeah, maybe a bit of crow to eat because when Pete DeBoer was hired there, it was kind of like a disappointment. It's like, oh, like here comes another defensive coach. I mean, they were moving on, though, from Rick Bonus. So I guess what this shows us is that maybe Rick Bonus and his his emphasis or obsession with defense first hockey, even like relative to Pete DeBoer, was kind of intense. And that Pete DeBoer being behind the bench has uh, let let the reins loose on a bit more offense being able to happen. And I'm just taking a peek at Tyler Sagan's numbers too. And what he's doing looks looks pretty solid too. And like you said, Elon, without any like substantial power play contributions either. I mean, 60 points seems easy for him at this point. The question is, can he can he stick above 65 as he is so far? Great, great season. Great things happening in Dallas. It's nice. Yeah. It's been so long. Although Sagan isn't shooting. But hey, take what you can get. Yeah, I'm, now I'm kind of feeling like, should we talk about more Dallas players? But I guess I, that's pretty much it, right? I guess Mason Marchment really fell off. He's turned into kind of a bust. But aside from him uh, and Haskinen, we'll get actually, I think I have Haskinen scheduled, so I might as well bring him up as well. Why not? Yeah, Haskinen, two assists and six shots versus Winnipeg. Uh, then one assist in the 4-1 loss to Colorado yesterday. So he was pointless for four games before that. I believe Ben and I talked about him on short shifts about that uh, four-game pointless streak. And I uh, you know, I'm not going to brag because it was pretty obvious, but I was like, don't worry about it. Like, clearly this is just a blip. And now we see he's back. He's on this power play. Brian, the, the Brian's just talking about how amazing it is and how Jamie Benn is contributing. Obviously, the quarterback there is going to do really well as well. And plus, he gets like a ton of time to even strength. So he's going to also living up to his draft stock and, and pedigree and hype. Yeah, on pace for 65 points on that really strong power play. He's up to shot rates a little bit too and is being leaned on heavily, of course, on all special teams, which uh, isn't really helping much. Like I thought maybe he'd, he'd throw a few more, he'd get a couple more blocks, but that's not his game and I'm glad it's not. We don't need in throwing himself in the line of fire too often. So Elon, I'm just with you. Just uh, enjoy, enjoy the season from Miro Haskinen uh, that he's having. And this was after... Am I remembering right? Yeah, he had a bit of a slow start too, right? He had just three points in his first six games. Then he just rattled off a ton of fantastic games. And just like that, he's up to a 65-point pace. Way to go, Haskinen. It's it's fun. And Eric Carlson's having a great season. Remember back when Carlson was going to get traded and there was like, I remember we had a debate on the show of like whether Dallas should trade Haskinen for Eric Carlson. I don't know. It's fun to see them both doing well. Anyways, whatever. That's old news. Let's go to Toronto now. Okay. No more Dallas talk for the rest of the show. I don't want any more mention of the Dallas Stars. We've given them so much time. I don't know why I'm like all of a sudden being against them. Okay. The Leafs, uh, because no podcast talk about the Leafs. So we definitely need to give them some time now to make up for it. And yeah, the next players on the list here are Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. Uh, and then Nylander is not too far behind. The Leafs definitely had a productive couple games on Friday and Saturday versus Pittsburgh and Minnesota. They scored four goals in each of those two wins. Uh, we actually had a question though from Edge. He's a little bit concerned about Austin Matthews. Uh, he wrote, uh, any concerns about Matthews scoring pace? By the way, this was on our 
patron discord server uh, i take questions from the patrons I, I always like post whenever you know saturday when i'm preparing for the show i'm like if you have a player you want us to talk about bring them up and i'll do my best to fit him into the show so i guess another perk of becoming a patron if you're interested at keepingcarlson.com slash patron uh, but yeah edge any concern about matthew's scoring pace currently playing at a 34 goal pace and roughly 78 points shooting percentage still low almost 10 percent versus career 16 percent still recorded the way through the season when do we readjust our expectations and then edge wrote a lot of more interesting things in his own analysis so i guess yeah, the patrons could go and see more of that question but yeah brian i'll just throw it to you now obviously it helps that since this question was asked matthews had a goal and two assists versus pittsburgh after going pointless for a couple games but yeah even still you look at his totals 10 goals and 24 points in 23 games so that's a 37 goal 86 point pace now which is good but not like second overall in fantasy drafts like people were debating whether to take dry or austin matthews clearly the answer has been dry by far so far so are you at a point brian where you think that if you were redrafting now it's like dry settle obviously or do you think matthews is just as good as you thought he was going into the season and that debate still should be there of who should go second overall in these fantasy drafts that one the second one i think as crazy as it sounds i'll still take austin matthews i yeah i would i really would i mean it you know thank goodness by the way like matthew's season would be even more dire if it weren't for his power play production he has 11 power play points in 23 games so pacing for about 40 power play points which is almost 10 more than he had last last year and maybe that's not going to totally sustain but at least for now that covers up the fact that matthew's five on five production rates have basically been halved and i think you can chalk that up entirely IMO to uh, him having just a 6% shooting percentage at five on five, which is less than half of what we'd expect him to be achieving. Uh, Like this, Austin Matthews, he's an extremely consistent high-end goal scorer. He's been that way for three years now. This is a blip. I wouldn't adjust expectations. I guess the one the one thing that I will put out there is he's been separated from Mitch Marner, right? And that's where he's had the, the majority of his success with. So there's this difference in deployment, and I don't know if that does have some kind of impact on the end result. But I can tell you so far in Matthew's underlying numbers, nothing's showing, right? So if it's a chemistry thing, maybe those who watch uh, a lot of Leafs hockey have noticed uh, some kind of eye test, like, let us know. At Keeping Carlson tweeted us if you've seen anything. But as far as I'm concerned, I, I I can't get too worried about Austin Matthews. If you can somehow buy low, like if I had Dreisaitl, I think I might offer oh, wow. him up for Matthews. I don't I think, think I, might, I would. <laughs> yeah, like it, it would be a bit risky. But Why? Like why do it? Like I feel like yeah. the outside is the same. Like uh, here's a more interesting one. What if you have Jason Robertson? who yeah, is just getting like five, six, eight shots yeah. per game, like scorching, or you you would toss away, not toss away, <laughs> toss I mean, up I would, Robertson I would try and get Matthews. more, right? Like, try, I would you try, try to get more than Matthews for Robertson? Well, like, I try and, like, yeah, I know, it's crazy, Come right? on, Brian. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I you get like a sweetener or a pick. That that was the, but it, you're right. It's unlikely. I, that's I already a, a bold move to, to I've offer Robertson. <laughs> yeah, I have an unreasonable view of trades. Like, I, I suck at it. Okay, but like, but you're saying yeah. if you have Robertson, you should offer him for Matthews right now? Or are you thinking like you'd at least think about it? Or is it like obvious? I would do that. I would take that swing. Okay. I mean, makes sense at the start of the year. Matthews was like 
like far and away the best, even though Robertson was having that contract dispute. Yeah, it'll be fun next year once the dust settles to see where all these players land and what we're expecting for like next year's results. But yeah, I agree with you. Like Matthews will be fine. It's just like for Matthews to be fine, like to our expectations, like I was expecting him to win the Rocket Richard, like running away. And now it's like going to be really hard for him to win it at this point. He's so far behind. Uh, but yeah, that's Matthews. Uh, Marner also, like Dave Bedden brought up on the stream scheme that we just dropped yesterday, that he's a bit upset about what Marner's been doing so far. He had a goal and assist versus Pittsburgh on Saturday, which helped. But before that, he was hovering around a 90-ish point pace, which is fine. But last season, he pays for 110. And his shot on goal totals are down, actually, from 3.1 per game last year to only 2.3 this year. So it's kind of like the same question as for Matthews. And now uh, that you've pointed out that Marner is playing away from Matthews. Yeah, Marner's been playing with Tavares, and Matthews has been playing with Nylander and Michael Bunting. Is that like something to be concerned about with Marner? Again, not that he's going to fall off completely, but maybe is he only a 90 point guy now, as opposed to being the hundred plus guy that he was last year? Yeah, that this is a tough one. Cause as you mentioned, there's some underlying indicators there for Mitch Marner that he's not playing as well, or, or like he's not doing as much as he has in the past to get him those hundred plus points. I think it's kind of a similar story to Austin Matthews, like great power play production, but his five on five production is flagging. But whereas for Matthews, I was like, yeah, I see a lot of reasons why this is just unfortunate variance with Marner. I see these shot rates that are down as you sort of hinted at already. And Marner's shooting percentage is up at the same time, which is not really a formula we like to see, right? You can cover lower shot rates with a higher shooting percentage, but that doesn't mean that higher shooting percentage is going to keep up. Sometimes it might mean you're you're being uh, more selective or selecting better shots to take, but that's not the case from what I'm seeing in Marner's expected goals numbers, which are down at the lowest they've ever been. Like they're in extremely meh territory, actually far below what I would expect to see from a high end forward. Like Marner's expected goals numbers were never as high as like an elite goal scorer, but they were still good, like a supporting uh, top three or top six goal scorer. But this year, not so much. The on-ice numbers for Marner are also down compared to the last couple years too. You know, again, Marner and Matthews struggled out of the gate. And I think there's an adjustment having tried to tinker and tweak and fix what was happening there. And now that Marner's away from Matthews and onto a line with Tavares and Kerfoot, um, maybe there's more adjustments still happening. So yeah, I think there's it's a, it's a little underwhelming to have drafted Mitch Marner, um, even though he's still on, what, a 96-point pace. It's, it's not quite in the way you would have expected or hoped, and I don't know if and when he and Austin Matthews are going to get reunited either. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to keep tabs on this to see, because if this lasts all season and goes into next, then it's time to reevaluate where we have Mitch Marner in our drafts, like bump him down a little. Um, but yeah, if there's one guy I'm worried about a little more between Matthews and Marner, it's probably Marner. And it's still minor. Like the difference we're talking about is not huge. Don't panic about Mitch Marner. It's just well, yeah. not as rosy as we'd hoped. I mean, yeah, he he is on like an insane point pace right now in terms of like a point streak, I should say. He like hasn't gone a game without getting at least an assist since October 24th. So It's all relative. Yeah, it's all relative, of course. Like you're not upset with Marner, but it was just, I, I noticed that Dave brought him up in stream scheme and I was like, wait, what's the problem with Marner? And I looked, yeah, he's a bit below his pace from last year. But yeah, I'm, I'm not that concerned. Though it would be nicer for, to have him with Matthews, though. Hey, the guy who is playing with Matthews instead has been William Nylander, who, uh, you know, that's great for him. He's up to 24 points in 23 games on the season i feel like there's no reason why he can't top point per game if he's getting this uh top line top power play deployment all season long uh though i guess uh, one other thing about the leafs that 
was already discussed on short shifts on Tuesday, and I believe again on Thursday a little bit mentioned. But yeah, this Morgan Riley injury is big news, and everyone really lost their minds, I think, like rushing to grab Mark Giordano because they expected he'll get top power play because I think he did get on the top power play in the game where Riley got hurt. And then all of a sudden the news came out, no, oh, it's Rasmus Sandin that's practicing on the top power play. And so people switched over from Giordano to Sandin. Uh, at the end, like, neither guy was that exciting, to be honest. Like, Sandin is pointless in three games since joining PP1, uh, just two shots over that stretch. He's been plus four for what it's worth. So maybe he could have gotten some, he was on the ice for goals clearly and just didn't get in on them. Uh, Giordano had an assist versus Minnesota, which is nice. Like, but I'm curious to get your take now on these uh, defensemen because Morgan Riley's out for a while. This is a very plum spot to be on the top power play with all of these superstars. Are you like, you know, I'd imagine these guys are going to start getting dropped if uh, once the excitement wanes and there's new exciting defensemen that people want to go after. So what's your current hype level on PP1 Rasmus Sandin and extra TOI Mark Giordano after this injury? It's about as low as you're kind of setting it up to be. Uh, And I'm someone who quickly added Mark Giordano when I heard that uh, Riley was moved to injured reserve. And then I was like, oh, no, Sandin's going to be the top power play guy. So I swapped him out for Rasmus Sandin. I didn't realize that Rasmus Sandin was in the penalty box for that one power play that happened after Morgan Riley was injured that Giordano played on. Um, So that's that's on me. Uh, And actually, I really could have used that move this week because I, I have three predators on my roster. So I've lost a lot of games played from uh, the, the flooding delays at Bridgestone Arena that also took out my Nathan McKinnon. Sorry, there's my little vent for the week. I'm probably going to lose by roughly the amount of production I lost from those postponed games. And I hope they happen still at another fancy relevant moment. Uh, but in terms of fancy relevant moments for Sandine and Giordano, yeah, like, I, you know, Ilan, even when I was writing you about it as, as, as things were happening, we both acknowledge that there is a scenario where neither guy actually holds a lot of relevance. They both play more minutes and they're on the ice more, but neither one really gets to benefit and step in to do what Morgan Riley did. Um, but I guess uh, I'm, I'm not surprised that Santine and Giordano, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised that Rasmus Sandin and Mark Giordano uh, could not do that and fill Riley's skates. It's still a good place to be. Like, I wouldn't just cut these guys for the sake of cutting them and add someone, like, really deep. Instead, I think, especially Sandine on the top power play unit, assuming he continues there, is worth it just for the chance that he gets a point. But, meh. Like, that, that's my overall feel. I, I'm mm-hmm. disappointed that I gave up two moves to add uh, both of these guys, only keep one when zero of them were actually worth rostering. Yeah, like, I think that Sandine could easily get, like, an assist or two next week in three games. So, yeah, he's worth rostering. But, yeah. And he's good for hits. So, if he really counts that significantly. You know what's really annoying, by the way? Uh, I'm in a very close matchup myself, Brian Kukupfel, and I've got Mark Shifley over on Winnipeg, who's, like, pointless in forever. And Winnipeg has scored two goals in this game. And the goal scores I'm just seeing now are Jansen Harkins from Lowry and Michael Asimont. And then Saku Manalanen, assisted by Morgan Barron and Dominic Tonit Nato. <laughs> like, what? Why? Wow, you really, you really crushed those names. <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people? I don't even know. I didn't even know they were in the NHL. And we had someone these- <laughs> on our on our Discord who was like, "Guess who?" Like, we there was a goal scored by Michael Acemont, and someone was like, "Guess what team this guy plays for." And yeah. I don't think anyone knew. Like, I didn't know. I, I saw the, the gif of the goal, and I was like, oh, okay, plays for Winnipeg. But I had no idea. Yeah, well, did you know Saku Manalanen? 
Where? I think it's Manalainen. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we'll find. So, Brian, any interest in Sack? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I'm just frustrated because it's been a while now for Mark. Can we just jump to quickly Mark Shifley talk? Where is he? Like, uh, Winnipeg switched things up. They've moved Shifley now to play with Wheeler and Perfetti instead of with Kyle Connor, which feels like not great. I don't know if you could say that, like, Wheeler and Perfetti have gone to line one or if Shifley's gone to line two. Uh, but he and Dubois have swapped. Uh, they're beating Chicago today, for what it's worth. But yeah, not no thanks to Shifley, at least for my fantasy team. I don't know. Should I be worried or just like, is this just a cold stretch that's going to cost me a matchup, but whatever? A little worried about Mark Shifley, and it is because he's moved off that top line. Like, I don't like Shifley playing away from Connor. Shifley actually looks fine himself. He's actually even shooting more at five on five than he has in the past. And, like, I see a world where Shifley is a buy low. Here's a couple of reasons. Like, and this is to, 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 console you elon like shifley usually paces for huge power play points like not huge but good uh usually in the mid-20s but this year shifley has just three power play points in 19 games that's about half what we'd expect from him by now so give him those and shifley isn't quite at point per game but he's closer that gives that would give him in this imaginary world 17 points in 19 games and then you look at his on ice shooting percentage, which is currently below 7%, and say, well, that'll regress. And there you go. Bam. Shifley point per game player. So I see paths of regression where Shifley is just who he's always been with some more shots. But the thing is, and this nagging thing to me is I, I still just don't really love Shifley playing on what I think is, you know, very decidedly a second line. Wheeler is not who he once was. Cole Perfetti is not who he will one day be. Could Shifley produce on that second line? Sure. And he's still on the top power play. But again, this marked drop from the top line. And if Ehlers was coming back soon, it would be like, well, okay, when Ehlers comes back, that improves the chances that he's going to have a, a world-class line mate. But that return is not quite in sight yet. So I can't even really get my hopes up. But just regression purely, Shifley looks good. But deployment-wise, I'm not loving where he's at. Right. Okay. So we'll have to wait and see if maybe that changes because this is a new development. By the way, okay, back to Toronto just to tie a bow on them. Uh, so I mentioned that Nylander is playing with Matthews and Bunting, leaving Marner with Tavares. And there is a third person on that line, and his name is Callie Yarncrock. So that's a good spot for him. He had a goal actually versus Minnesota and then an assist versus Pittsburgh. So if you're in a deep enough league, this is a guy getting a good deployment. Wanted to make sure to throw his name out there. But with that, Brian. We were pretty far down the list. I think we we're having a good time, but I think it's also time to take a little bit of a break. So we'll be back in just a sec after some words from our sponsors. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, Brian, we are back and we're going down this list of the players who had the most couple points over Friday and Saturday, which sounds like kind of a janky theme for the episode, <laughs> the more I say it. But I think it's just leading us to fun player discussion, which is really what it's all about, right? These themes are just giving me something to tie it together. But next up, actually, in between Matthews and Marner and then Nylander, there is a guy who was ahead of them, and that's Kevin Hayes, who's continuing his monster season with Philly. He had a goal versus Pittsburgh on Friday, two assists versus the Islanders, and the 5-2 loss on Saturdays. That brought Kevin Hayes to 22 points in 22 games. Point per game, Kevin Hayes, is there any chance this is sustainable? Like we we knew when the season started and Couturier was going to be out that oh, good opportunity for Kevin Hayes. I thought of him like a David Krejci, like hey, yeah, this guy's going to probably be pretty decent. And Krejci also having an insane season, as we'll talk about in a little bit. So these guys, I don't know. I feel like I had a hunch that he'll be decent, but nothing like this. This is insane. Yeah, he's been amazing. It's almost like Kevin Hayes is who we hoped Sean Couturier could be this year, and it's kind of a wild thing because Sean Couturier, you know, has come up as 
always been someone with huge upside, big, big pedigree. And Kevin Hayes has been this uh, other type of player who's not quite a journeyman, but has never really been given top-notch deployment to show what he can do. And when he has, he's looked good, but he's never consistently earned it. And here he is in Philly. He's like the last centerman standing. He's doing so good. Elon, do you remember when I offered you Kevin Hayes for Evan Bouchard straight up in a trade? I guess I blew it. You scoffed. I ended up trading Bouchard for an injured Tara Vinen. So do you think yeah. I, I should have done the move for Hayes or do you think <laughs> I should be happier to have Tara Vinen? It depends on what you do with that roster spot in the meantime, I yeah. think. I think you probably could have, like Tara Vinen I mean, might do as well as Hayes. I mean, if I knew that Hayes was going to continue doing what he's been yeah. doing, then I, I guess I blew it. Me yeah, too. I just, and I if really I knew how, <laughs> how, how Bouchard would continue to struggle and not take over the top power play, I wouldn't have made that offer. But that's... That's how the cookie crumbles, huh? I mean, Kevin Hayes in Philly, could he keep this up? Uh, you know, his, his own ice shooting percentage is kind of high, 12%. Uh, but he has seven power play points already, which is four away from matching his own career high. He's pacing for 26 power play points. And uh, the Philadelphia power play, I don't want to speak too soon, but may actually be capable of supporting that. And Kevin Hayes is doing all this, of course, with career high time on ice, the biggest role he's ever had. Um, so yeah, we'll keep, I, I'm curious to see, like we thought Couturier coming into the season could get, you know, 65 points right now. Hayes, even with regression is slated to do at least that or about that. So I'm, uh, I want to see how far Kevin Hayes can take this. I'm not totally surprised he's succeeding, but I, I am still kind of surprised because we didn't see this kind of fantasy potential happening in Philly this year, but Kevin Hayes proven us wrong. Yeah, so if he's still he's not even rostered in like so so many le- like compared like a, a point per game player, and I believe I'm just bringing it up now. Yeah, he's rostered in only 24 percent like of Yahoo leagues, which is like yeah. Even if you don't think he'll keep this up, I feel like you want a point per game player on your team. That's a top line, top power play center. Just I think you should probably grab him and tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know who your options are to drop for Kevin Hayes. Must be a lot of shadow leagues out there. I was even meant for your deeper leagues. Uh, a guy playing with Hayes lately has been Joel Farabee, and he scored a goal on Saturday. He has a quiet eight points in his last 11 games. Farabee's been doing pretty good as a guy who had a lot of buzz when he first came up into the league. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, the buzz in Philly was about Owen Tippett, who was producing and getting really great deployment. But he's really slowed down lately. So I think uh, if you're still holding Owen Tippett, you probably want to swap for Joel Farabee, right? I, I'd consider Farabee the second best uh, flyer forward to roster at the moment, aside from Konechny, of course. Where is yeah. Konechny, by the way? He's injured again. He's injured. Yeah, always. Ugh. Philly yeah. sucks. Like, everyone's he's, injured he's all been, the time. He's been gone a little while. Yeah, like, you're asking if we should swap out Farabee for Tippett. Yes and no. Like, Farabee's on the second power play, not a ton of shots. Uh, you know, he's not the sort of guy who looks like he can do much sustainably. So I'd say if Owen Tippett for you was a short-term stream, yeah, you could swap him out for Joel Farabee. Um but I wouldn't see Farabee as someone who could have like a lasting presence on your roster because he's really frustrating on nights where he doesn't produce. You can't expect much. Um, deeper leagues, short-term streams, that's where you're looking at Joel Farabee. Meanwhile, Owen Tippett, remember when I pointed out last week that he was seeing consistently high time on ice and maybe he'd earned Tortorella's trust, which was so freaking impressive for someone, you know, in Owen Tippett's position. Well, uh, since then, he's dropped from seeing about 20 minutes a night to 15 and then 14 and a half minutes in Tippett's last two outing some of that is because he's had less power play time and like the team has had less power play time but Tippett is also like yeah he's been bad he hasn't been playing well just one shot total over his last three games that's not good Um, but what I'm saying here is if I had to commit to one 
for the rest of the season. I'd commit to Tippett over Farabee. If I wanted to commit to one over the next like four days, I think I'd prefer Farabee or at least call it a push. Yeah, I think I'd take Farabee over Tippett for the rest of the season just because he's had more time to establish himself. But eh, we're, we're probably splitting hairs here. So let's go now to Washington. Next up on the list here is Alex Ovechkin, who's heated up after a slow start. And of course, when I say slow start, I mean by Ovi's standards. Yeah, seven points in his last five games. And that uh, includes a game where he had no points but eight shots in that 5-1 loss to New Jersey on Saturday. But he just couldn't get anything by Vitek Vanacek, who can lately. But yeah, Ovi's still overall only pacing for 39 goals. My bet is he pushes it to 45 by the end of the season. I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like you just never doubt Ovi. That's probably just a good policy to have. Uh, and I guess we had a question in Washington about John Carlson. Julian wanted us to talk about him saying the shots have been crazy lately and he's been getting good point total since his injury. Is it sustainable, though? Uh, so, yeah, he's actually been kind of quiet offensively lately in terms of the production, but he had a power play goal yesterday. That was his first point in five games. Uh, Carlson's now pacing for 58 points on the season where he was at 75 last year. But, yeah, Julian definitely does point out that he's taking 3.7 shots per game now after six shots on Saturday, generally more of a two and a half shots per game guy. So do you think, Brian, this all evens out to Carlson going back to what he did last year once he even out this cold streak with all these shots? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think it's nice for anybody waiting for the points to start coming that Carlson, his shot rates have definitely gone up. And this this is after, by the way, Carlson had been shooting at the same rates since 2014-15. Like this is a this is a market change of someone who's been doing the same thing for the last seven or eight years. Uh, he was averaging three shots per game before his injury. Now Carlson is averaging more than four shots a game since. Uh, when the que- when the thrust of the question on our discourse was, is it sustainable? And yeah, I, I I don't know, but it's a really good thing to notice. This is, you know, 17 games after eight years of doing, like I said, the same sort of shot rates, which are always good, but never this good. So, you know, good to notice. We'll watch. As for points for Carlson, I think uh, there's some on-ice shooting percentage struggles happening at five on five. Also, the power play hasn't been scoring as well as it, as it probably should be or have been so far. So I think uh, I'm still with Carlson being able to get around the 70-point pace uh, rest of season. I think that's pretty reasonable, give or take five points. And like I said, those shots are nice for anybody waiting on those points to come. Yeah, and then uh, there were those two big TJ Oshie games when he returned from his injury before he had a goose egg on Saturday. I talked about Oshie with Ben, and Ben predicted that Oshie wouldn't be able to keep up the production coming back from injury, and he said basically he's you know borderline uh, replacement level in fantasy like he was last year. Are you with him? Like, Oshie not that exciting, or is he someone that if he's in free agency, you're jumping on? No, I'm not that excited. I, it depends on what your league values, right? Like, Oshi could approach 70 points, or he could fall short of 60. The thing that makes him not exciting is that there aren't a ton of goals coming from him, and he's shooting less than he ever has, just one and a half shots per game from Oshi, which elicits the big meh. You know, I think he could be a, a decent, steady-ish presence in the middle or bottom of your roster, but, you know, your question was, would I care to pursue him? N- not really. I, he's never he's never excited me, so I'm I'm kind of on the same page as Ben here. The one thing about Oshi is uh, he's hitting now. 
apparently 12 hits in his last three games, including a seven-hit game. He's up to three hits per game uh, versus, you know, he's usually not even hit two hits per game for his whole career. He's kind of hitting it twice the rate as he has before. So like John Carlson's shots, we'll, we'll see what happens with this trend. But if hits help you and uh, you you like the point upside, even though they're kind of like boring points, if there is such a thing, then you might be a little more interested in TJ Oshie than the rest. Okay, so next up in the list, we have Miro Haskinen, who we've already covered, and then another defenseman in Shea Theodora. Brian, I don't think we've talked much Shea this season. It's been an interesting season for him. He has three assists over his last couple games versus Seattle and Vancouver. Before that, he went pointless for a couple games, but then he had two assists versus Edmonton, getting a lot of assists, uh, which is nice. He's up to 14 assists in 23 games this season, only three goals. So that's 17 points in 23 games for Shea Theodore, which is a 61-point pace, which is pretty like pretty good. But I guess a one little concerning thing about him is he's been on the second power play this season. It's not like past seasons in Vegas where they've kind of had even power plays. I think it's like a pretty clear power play one, right? The one with Eichel, Stone, Marcia so, and Stevenson is obviously power play one. And that's been manned by Alex Petrangelo, who's having like a huge season himself, 21 points in 23 games now. Though interestingly, these last two games where Theodore got three assists, uh, Petrangelo went quiet. So I don't know, maybe only one of them could get points at a time. Someone should go check and see how often it happens that uh, both of them get a point at the same time in the same game. What if they're like a Clark Kent, Superman kind of thing? I don't know. Anyway, Brian, let's say you're drafting right now. You could have your choice of a Vegas defenseman for the rest of the season in Cupville. Who would you take between Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo? Well, I have Shea Theodore, so full disclosure... Um, but that's actually not going to keep me from picking Alex Petrangelo. And here, here's why. I, I haven't loved what I've seen under the hood from Shea Theodore so far this season. His shot rates have dipped a bit, as has his, uh, like he's lost a minute per night at five on five. And his power play role has dipped also from being on the top power player in the past, even part of like a 1A, 1B situation. He's on Definitely what is the second power play unit this year. And yet, Shea Theodore keeps producing, which is great. And I think the way he's done it, he's been in on more goals as a secondary assister than usual. That's helping him. But I'm kind of getting like Riley Smith vibes from Shea Theodore in the sense that Riley Smith has not had deployment that would suggest he can keep producing however he has somehow. And I see that that's what Shea Theodore has done. And I'm worried the clock will run out on him. I'm not sure it will, but I am a, I'm a little nervous. If you have Shea Theodore and you think you can sell him for full value right now, that's something I might go exploring. As for Alex Petrangelo, um, you know, I'll take him because he's the guy working the top power play unit. Um, his current point pace uh, for Petrangelo, which is like at 65 points, it's a, it's a bit of a mirage um, because he's participating in too many uh, even strength goals compared to his career numbers, or really any defenseman's career numbers. He's not 75% of all five-on-five goals scored while he's on the ice. His shot attempts have also dropped dropped a little, but not his shots on goal. And I think maybe that will, like, we'll see the actual effect of that. Sometimes, you know, if you take fewer shot attempts, somehow they still all make it to the net. I I don't know if that's going to hold up. But in any case, look, Petrangelo and Theodore both have the benefit of having played, of playing for a, a Vegas team that's producing more offense this year than they were in the past. Um, But I would rather 
Petrangelo over the two. Uh, top power play is going great. Petrangelo is going great on it. Uh, power play point every three games, seven and 23. So I could see 60 points for Petrangelo this year, and I'd put Theodore maybe in the 50 to 55 point range. Yeah, and then Petrangelo has a bit more of the peripherals, like the hits and blocks. So yeah, I think I'm with you there. All right, next up is Pavelski, who we've discussed. Uh, then we get Ryan Pulak, who, like I said, had that crazy game, four assists versus philly right after i dropped him. he was doing nothing before and then now i drop him and fuego right like a game of the year for ryan pulak no question brian do you think this game was a sign of things to come or is he gonna go back to zeros moving forward i think he's going back to zeros moving forward or mostly zeros moving forward like nothing about pulak suggests to me that he's underperforming on that four assist night he had two power play assists from the second unit that's nice that doesn't ever happen though good luck getting two power play assists for the second unit over 20 games let alone one uh the thing that Pulak does have going for him is he's lining up on an Isles team that is putting up some of its best offensive numbers on the score sheet and beneath it that it has for a while but even with that no, Elon, this is not a sign, in my opinion, of things to come from Ryan Pulak. If you dropped him, yeah, be sad that like he popped off maybe a game or two or five after you did. But I don't think you're you're, you're scrambling to go re-add him to your team because of that big performance. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then next up, I guess I'll, I'll jump down the list of it to some more Islanders like Zach Parisi and Brock Nelson come up at 17, 18 because they both had big games. We talked Peugeot on Thursday, who's on the power play, like a top power play, I should say like, yeah, the Islanders will start scoring more goals this year. So it's very exciting. And all these guys are benefiting. Zach Parisi popped a couple versus Philly on Saturday. Nelson has a goal in each of his last couple games. We had a question actually from our patron, Joel. Could you discuss Brock Nelson and the Islanders, specifically Anders Lee and Barzal, which is a, a fun way of wording it because like our, what about specifically Brock Nelson? That's okay. We'll just do all three. Uh, they seem much more high scoring. Nelson's numbers seem unsustainable, but he also scored 37 goals last season. Uh, we brought up Nelson on a show a few weeks ago, and I was like very much in the camp of Brock Nelson is freaking for real. This guy is so good, and no one respects him. Like he scored those 37 goals next year, and I feel like no one believes that he can do it again. But he's up to now uh, 11 goals and 22 points in 23 games. So he's definitely on pace to hit that 37 goals again, if not more. Uh, Anders Lee is actually cold at the moment, only one assist in his last four but he's still at 19 points in 23 games on the season he's playing with the great brock nelson so i personally wouldn't be too worried about andres lee they have matt barzell doing his thing on a separate line 25 points in 23 games now so i'm kind of like just into all three i don't know brian i'm sure you'll have a deeper analysis here maybe you'll have some cold water to throw but i feel like especially with the way people perceive these islanders as being super boring i feel like you at any point no matter how hot these players are you could probably still get them for cheap in a trade I'm talking, especially maybe not barzal just because he's kind of a big name but like brock nelson and anders lee i feel like you could always like sort of trade for them and end up getting a steal because i'm into both of them yeah, you might be able to. And it is like we, we should, as I just said about Pulak, the Isles are doing better offensively than they have in the past. They have about seven more shot attempts per hour, uh, a half uh, a half a goal more per hour, and three-tenths of a goal more expected per hour than they have over the last three seasons. And that has come at some defensive expense, but we don't care about defense. We just want offense and fancy production. Um, but we said this, right, about Matt Barzell on the show last week where it was you know i looked into barzal's numbers and we're seeing incredible offensive numbers that we haven't seen from him before and like i'm talking under the hood like we're 
we're really I'm I'm happy with what I'm seeing from Matt Barzal. And that's a first in a little while. And for Brock Nelson, I, I can say just about the same thing, although there are a couple more flags for him than there were for Barzal. First at five on five. Um the Owls are probably scoring too often. Like you heard the discrepancy, or you might have noticed it in actual goals scored for the Islanders versus their expected number. So yeah, there's a bit of a discrepancy there, and some of it is happening on Nelson's line, which means he's probably getting a couple more points than he should. Also, his own five on five shooting percentage. He shot 18% last year after a career of shooting 10 to 12%, and he hasn't really regressed from the 18% mark. So either something has changed um, that I can't find elsewhere in the numbers to prove that something has changed, or this is a guy who's like on borrowed time goal scoring. But one thing that does uh, work in Brock Nelson's favor is he's been more engaged as a shooter on the power play, and that's helped him up above three shots per game, which is a nice little milestone for him to hit as somebody who you know, used to be goal or bust. And now it's like, no, he's going to get you three shots and hopefully a goal too. Coming into the season, I would have expected maybe 60, 65 points from Brock Nelson. Uh, I can up that by like a five point range to 65 or 70 points. I like what I'm seeing. I'm open to maybe him being a 15% or higher shooter all of a sudden. We'll see if he can keep it up. The longer he keeps it up, the more convinced I'll be. We'll see if he can. I'm still a little skeptical. Anders Lee, uh, his success is coming on the power play. Eight power play points in 23 games. Big success there. Also a guy that I'd say is, uh, you know, coming into the season, 60 points. And I'll also bump him up a little. So yeah, both these guys, all these Islanders, except Ryan Pulak, performing above mm-hmm. projections. And I think to some extent, reliably so. Yeah, it's uh, an exciting team. It'll be fun. And I think they've got like the front runner for the Vesna in net which obviously helps uh in sorokin so i think that this islanders team is going to be a fun team to watch should i call it right now islanders dallas stars stanley cup final that would be too great no it's going to be new jersey probably and vegas okay those will be my two picks new jersey and dallas those are my picks okay stanley cup finals you've heard it here first new jersey and dallas what do you think do you have a do you have a current uh, finals prediction I don't, I don't see dallas taking colorado so I'll, uh, but I could get, uh, I could get behind your Eastern, your New Jersey candidate. Although I still, still think Toronto might find a way to get there. Toronto. Okay. Well, they've yeah. got a long way to go. They, yeah. It's hard to win a playoff series if you're a, a Leaf, uh, but we'll see. And we'll also see about a bunch more players in this episode of Keeping Carlson. Uh, but I think we're, it's about time, Brian, to take a break and end part one here. But we've had a lot of fun, I think, covering some of the top performers over the last few days and some of them over the whole season. Uh, and yeah, we still have some players that we're going to go to Tampa. We're going to go to Arizona, uh, Boston. Uh, Minnesota, like, you know, you could try to guess if you're a listener which players on these teams we're going to talk about, but obviously it's going to be some high performance. Like a Minnesota, here's a tease. Kirill Kaprizov, very good. Who's centering him? It's still been Sam Steele. He scored a goal today. Are we still into Sam Steele? You know, discussions like that are coming. So make sure to go and download part two, which should already be available to you. And until then, you know, I don't know. Have fun and good luck. And I don't ever, I never know how to end these halves. So Brian, say something to take us out of here. We'll just push play on the next episode. All right. Bye. Bye.